Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, November 1st, we're studying Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 1 to 32. The Lord tells Ezekiel to raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, for although he considered himself a lion, he will be no more than a helpless crocodile pulled from the river with no one to save him from death and the grave. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Jason Schockman. Pastor Schockman serves at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Pastor Schockman, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Great to be with you. Did I get that right? Oconomowoc? It's a mouthful. O-con- yeah, Oconomowoc. Fantastic. It's, it's, it's spelled just like it sounds, and you say it just like it's spelled, so that works out well. Perfect, perfect. Well, we're we're <laughs> glad to have you with us on Sharper Iron again, Pastor Shockman, and we are looking at Ezekiel chapter 32 this morning. We've got the we prophet... Are. We've got the prophet Ezekiel, who has been speaking against Egypt for several chapters now, and this is the last of those chapters. The text, as it's labeled in the ESV, says that it's a lament over Pharaoh and Egypt. And just to re- a reminder of kind of how this has progressed, back in chapter 29, there was a prophecy against Egypt as a whole. The next chapter, chapter 30, was a lament of sorts for Egypt. Chapter 31 was speaking against Pharaoh, and now we're getting the the counterpart, the lament for Pharaoh. But as we read it, it's not going to sound like, I think, what we think of as a lament. So, Pastor Shockman, help us to introduce the text. What yes. is this lament? I'm u- using air quotes here. This lament that we're going to hear, and, and how does this chapter lay out in terms of structure? Absolutely. Okay, so when you when we say lament, normally we think like sorrow and sadness, um, but but in some ways, I, I hearken this to a lament like Jesus is snarky sometimes, right? Uh, this is one of those things that it's called a lament, but really it's just dripping with sarcasm. Uh, and the deeper we get into the, to the chapter, by the time we get to verse 19, we are just slathered in it. Um, so really, this breaks down into two sections, uh, verses 1 through 16. Uh, which is this first oracle or this first lament, and then verses 17 to 32. Uh, and it's in that second section, 17 to 32, where uh, it, it, it really just drips with mockery and sarcasm as uh, Ezekiel calls out Pharaoh, uh, you know, who, who thought himself high and mighty uh, and, and, and finds himself uh, rather in his death to be numbered among all of those others who thought themselves high and mighty, helpless and hopeless in the bottom of the depths of the worst of the pits that you can be cast down into. So with that introduction, Pastor Shockman, you know, a, a chapter that's going to be dripping with sarcasm, very snarky, words of judgment, no doubt against Pharaoh, you who thought yeah. you were high and mighty, you're cast low. We've talked about this several times during this 
these this section in Ezekiel that deals with these oracles against the nations. And maybe this one is, is a slightly different in character with some of that satire that's there, but it's it's a similar thought where, boy, this is this is gonna sound maybe different than some of the other scriptures that we're more familiar with reading. What do we just think about this chapter as a whole again? What are we gonna do with a chapter like this as Christians today? How are we gonna take something like this and and keep it in the context and I mean really make use of it for our lives? Yeah, so the the you know, quote unquote life application. Uh, that you that you really want to pull out of Ezekiel 32 is that um, that as a Christian we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than we should, right? Um, the the other application that I want to make sure we get to or make sure we pull out is uh, actually in verse 23 um, you get this proverbial point uh, that. It seems that the more arrogant and the more egregious the sinner is, uh, the deeper their place in the underworld will be. And we get we get uh, some connotations of this, uh, for instance, in James chapter 3, uh, where James says, you know, you, you ought not to desire to become a teacher because you'll be held to a stricter level. Right. Uh, we get the opposite of this kind of in in Luke. Uh, chapter 19, as he's talking about the, the parable of the Minas, right? And he says, um, uh, well, shoot, let's just look it up real quick. Uh, Luke 19, and this is verses 16 to 19. Matthew, Mark, Luke uh, 19. One more page, just one, not three. There you go. Uh, Luke 19, where he says, um, uh, the first came before him saying, Lord, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in very little. You shall have authority over 10 cities. Uh, and the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, you have been, are you, and you are to be over five cities, right? So we get this, this picture, although, uh, you know, it's a parable. And so maybe not a literal application, but, but the, the, uh, the proverbial point is the more arrogant that people are, the, the more egregious their sin against God and their fellow man, uh, the deeper their pit will be, where the opposite is true as well, or, or seems to be, where the more faithful one is, the, the more uh, loving one is, the, the greater the reward. Um, and so... You know, the, the follow-up is kind of, as a man sows, so shall he reap. Now, that doesn't include salvation in and of itself, right? Uh, we know that uh, no one can be saved by their work. Uh, and yet, uh, we get this sense in, in places like uh, Galatians. Let's go to Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 9. Galatians, Galatians, Ephesians looking through my Bible as we go here. Galatians chapter 6, uh, verses 7 through 9, right? Uh, Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that shall he reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from his flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those of the household of faith. 
right? So, so as Christians, like the life application we take from Ezekiel 32 uh, is really found uh, in the whole counsel of, of God, uh, that the, the teaching is uh, don't get all wrapped up in yourself and think yourself all high and mighty and try then even to define yourself as next to uh, uh, divinity, right? Uh, as next to a God. Uh, but rather uh, realize who we are and what our own work re really deserves. Um, and, and then we will know that as we will be, uh, as, as we find in verse 15, right, of Ezekiel 32, right, then we will know, right, is that, that is, we will see the work of our hand for what it is and be moved to repentance uh, that we might receive from God his gracious gifts. Uh, or at a minimum, at least, uh, we will recognize that uh, Christ is Lord and we are not. Very good. So let's jump into this chapter. You divided it up into two parts for us. So I'll start with verses 1 through 16, right? That's the first, the first section? Part 1. All yes, right. Indeed. Ezekiel 32, verses 1 to 16. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and say to him, you consider yourself a lion of the nations, but you are like a dragon in the seas. You burst forth in your rivers, trouble the waters with your feet, and foul their rivers. Thus says the Lord God, I will throw my net over you with a host of many peoples, and they will haul you up in my dragnet, and I will cast you on the ground, on the open field I will fling you, and will cause all the birds of the heavens to settle on you and I will gorge the beasts of the whole earth with you. I will strew your flesh upon the mountains and fill the valleys with your carcass. I will drench the land even to the mountains with your flowing blood, and the ravines will be full of you. When I blot you out, I will cover the heavens and make their stars dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give its light. All the bright lights of heaven will I make dark over you and put darkness on your land, declares the Lord God. I will trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations into the countries that you have not known. I will make many peoples appalled at you, and the hair of their kings shall bristle with horror because of you when I brandish my sword before them. They shall tremble every moment, every one for his own life, on the day of your downfall. For thus says the Lord God, The sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. I will cause your multitude to fall by the swords of mighty ones, all of them most ruthless of nations. They shall, bring to your, they shall bring to ruin the pride of Egypt, and all its multitude shall perish. I will destroy all its beasts from beside many waters, and no foot of man shall trouble them any more, nor shall the hooves of beasts trouble them. Then I will make their waters clear, and cause their rivers to run like oil, declares the Lord God. When I make the land of Egypt desolate, and when the land is desolate of all that fills it, when I strike down all who dwell in it, then they will know that I am the Lord. This is a lamentation that shall be chanted. The daughters of the nations shall chant it over Egypt, and over all her multitude shall they chant it, declares the Lord God. That's the first part of this chapter. That's Ezekiel 32, verses 1 to 16. 
So, Pastor Shockman, the, the chapter opens, this lamentation, really more of a taunt, as you said, opens mm -hmm. by Pharaoh considering himself a lion, but the Lord begs to differ, says, no, you're more like a dragon in the seas, which, uh, given what, what we read previously in, oh man, I think it was in chapter 29, where it was this this image of a dragon. The suggestion there is like, think of the the crocodiles in the Nile River is kind of the picture there. Help help us into this this opening yes. picture. So you know, I want I want I want to recognize that there is that that connection back from twenty nine to kind of think of it like a crocodile, but but there's a deeper there's a deeper uh, connection here that actually takes us into Revelation. Mm. It's the great dragon that comes up out of the sea, right? This is the this is no ordinary beast, right? I want to I want to maybe open our our picture a little bit to see this is this is ultimately there's an eschatology there's an apocalyptic uh, judgment being spoken here, um, and, and we see you know a great highlight of it in seven and eight uh, when I cover the heavens. Sorry, I'm jumping the shark and getting ahead of this. <laughs> Where we are, uh, go back, go back. Right, go back to verse the, the opening of the lament here, uh, verse in verse two. Um, the Pharaoh is no lion, right? Who's the lion? The lion of Judah, the lion that that comes to save, right? No, no, Pharaoh, you're not going to save anybody. You're you're like a dragon in the sea, and and when you come flying out of your rivers and you trouble the waters, you stir them up, you cause them to be silt, the silt to come off the bottom and it fouls everything. Mm -mm. This is, this is you making a big deal out of yourself. Right. And so in verse four, uh, I, God says, I will haul you up. Sorry. Verse three, he says, I will haul you up and I will hurl you down. We, we we get it you know we get the and i will cast you on the ground yeah no 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 let's get let's get to the hebrew here it's hurl right this is the same god who hurls the windstorm at jonah uh and and the boat that he's on right this is this is a you you pharaoh are helpless in the face of what i'm going to do as i haul you up out of the water and i hurl you down to the ground and the, the, there's a deeper connection here. There's a broader scope that we're not just dealing with Pharaoh. We're not just dealing with Egypt. We're dealing with all of the host of evil that stand in the face of God and taunt him to be God. You know, this is something that we've seen in a couple of places in these oracles against the nations. It happened with the Prince of Tyre as well, where you, you have this picture and, and the Lord is talking about the downfall of this prince, here the downfall of Pharaoh. And and like you're saying, like, okay, well, I can, I can see how the Lord does that historically to Pharaoh as a king of Egypt and through the nation of Babylon, and that's going to come up later of how you know, Babylon's going to conquer Egypt historically. But but when you start reading it, and particularly in light of other biblical images, and you've already mentioned the book of Revelation, you're like, maybe Ezekiel's got a bigger picture in mind here as well. So so help us into that bigger picture well, and how you know, this is talking about the forces of evil, as you, as you said. 
honestly, Pastor Apple, Ezekiel might not have a bigger picture, but God does. Mm. Right? As as the prophet, he only knows what he's given to say. And he's a prophet. He's a man. He doesn't necessarily have, uh, you know, the omniscient insight that God does. Nor do the prophets necessarily, in, in recording what they're given to say, really understand the full weight of it, right? It's as if they can see from mountain peak to mountain peak, uh, but, don't, but don't really get the depth of what it is that they're, that they're declaring. Right, and part of part of what tips my tips my hat in that direction uh, is actually right at the end of verse uh, sixteen, or in verse sixteen. Right, the daughters of the nations will chant it, and over Egypt uh, they will they will sing. Right, they will sing of this destruction that's come to Pharaoh. He is the one proclaiming it. But he's not doing it alone. Others are going to sing this song too. And so it's not, it's not Ezekiel that brings this about. And he knows it full well, right? Because he can say, declares the Lord. But even he isn't going to be the one that ends this message. Others are going to come along and sing the same song over Pharaoh and his destruction. Uh, which, which helps us kind of see that maybe... What Ezekiel's talking about isn't just the overthrow of Egypt by Babylon, right? Because this is a very uh, kind of nebulous phrase, the daughters of the nations, right? They shall chant it. They're going to, the, the peoples over the course of time are going to chant this song of the of the absolute annihilation of evil and the triumph of God over it. So how, how does this text then point us forward? What are, what are some of the features of this text that are going to be talking, not just about, as you said, the destruction of Egypt by Babylon, but of the destruction of evil by the Lord. Right. Which I I love this, right? I I love this in verse 11 um, that, Oh, come on, turn the page. Uh, <laughs> I love this in verse 11. For thus says the Lord, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon you. I will cause your multitude to fall. Yes, it's Babylon that's coming, but ultimately it is the sword of Babylon. It is God's sword. Mm-hmm. Right? It is, it is Yahweh who will accomplish this. He may use Babylon to do it. But it is Yahweh that will accomplish this, right? So when we get to verses 13 and 14, we see we see this messianic moment happen, mm. right? And this is this is where I want to make sure in this first section to pause for a minute, uh, because God will destroy all the beasts from beside many waters, right? It's not just Pharaoh, this beast of the sea that's churning up the waters and fouling them. There are others, too, that do the same thing. But God, God will destroy all of the beasts from beside the many waters, and no foot of man shall trouble the waters anymore, and nor the hooves of beasts trouble the waters. It's the still waters, 
beside still waters. I think we've read that somewhere before, haven't we? Yeah. Like yeah. in the 23rd Psalm. Huh. Right. Uh, and, and then we, again, we get fast forwarded to this, to this picture. Uh, when I make the land of Egypt desolate, when the land is desolate of all that fills it, I will strike down all who dwell in it and they will know that I am the Lord. Um, the, the picture uh, of how these waters now flow, right? Then I will make their, sorry, 14, then I will make their waters clear and cause the rivers to run like oil. That's huge. You know, like oil running down the beard of Aaron, talking about the unity that brothers dwell in. When we talk about waters flowing like oil, or rather, oil flowing, this is used countless times in Scripture to define that life-giving power of the Holy Spirit and the blessing of the work of Christ as he unites us. It's that, that river that flows from the throne of God that flows clear, clear as crystal. Mm. Uh, we Again, we get that apocalyptic picture from Revelation of the same thing. Mm. Right. And so here are these hints in this, in this taunt of Pharaoh, right? These hints that what God is talking about here isn't just the destruction of a king. It's the destruction of all the wicked, of all the beasts that make the waters foul, of the feet of men that make the waters foul, of the hooves of beasts that trouble the waters. And instead, instead what God is going to do through the work of his spirit, through the blessing of Christ, through the person and work of Christ, through the spirit that works through his word to bring us to repentance, to bring us by word and sacrament into this unity we have with God, uh, where, where now the water flows like oil running down the beard of Aaron as we dwell in unity, as that oil is poured out and we are anointed as the sons of God in the washing of the water and word. Boy, it just stacks up one on top of the other as we look at these images and how they play out in the rest of Scripture to make it abundantly clear, right? Yes, this lament is the destruction of Pharaoh, but ultimately what's in picture here is the destruction of all wickedness, of all evil. Mm. And, and it's the Lord himself who establishes us, or who establishes rather, his kingdom in place of the ones who would establish their own kingdoms over him. With with that bigger picture in mind, the Lord's victory over all evil, I mean, I, I do think that that lends itself to another one of those, as you might say, life applications. Mm-hmm. And, and even, I mean, just a, a comfort for us as Christians to know that the Lord is establishing his kingdom for our sakes over and against all of these other kingdoms that, that might exist that try to war against his kingdom for the sake yeah. of, of hurting us. And just, I mean, you know, that as I was reading through, particularly verses three and, and following through, three through about eight, where it's describing, you know, just what the Lord's going to do to this dragon and how you know, mm-hmm. his body parts are going to be strewn everywhere. It's a really ugly picture. 
Oh, it's gross. <laughs> but but the it's picture is and it's gross. the picture is of, of one of complete victory, though. I mean, you know, if, if you mm-hmm. think about just how awful this dragon actually is and what he would do to you if not defeated, to see him annihilated in this way should bring us comfort to know that the Lord has won this utter complete victory for our sakes. Oh, yeah. And right. Um, oh, where are you going? Here, look at verse nine. I will trouble the hearts of many peoples when I bring your destruction among the nations. It's not just the evil that is put down, but all of those who would side with evil that eventually the Lord will overcome. He will destroy them utterly, right? So, you know, as we look at, at our world that we're living in and we look at you know things like the the cancel culture uh, that we're that we're surrounded by. I just learned this weekend that uh, um, the the NFL essentially canceled one of the the coaches who's had quite a lengthy history of victory in the NFL um, because they didn't like some things that he said, and so they just canceled him, like took him off of off of uh, you know off of stadium walls and fired him from his job and. You know, as we as we deal with a culture that if it decides it's offended by you, can simply remove you. And we don't have to live in fear of that. We don't have to live in fear of, of of people that would simply push us to the side and ostracize the Christian church. Because as they try to establish kingdoms and thrones and powers and dominions, they're nothing. They're nothing compared to the kingdom that God brings us into as he comes to us in Lord and Sacrament. Right? We can't join his kingdom, but his kingdom comes to us. And isn't this what we pray, right? Thy yeah. kingdom come. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Thy kingdom come. And we're not just talking about the eschatological kingdom, right? The kingdom at the end of times. Yes, we, we include that too. But, you know, catechetically speaking, we're also praying that his kingdom would come to us here and now. And that not just to us, but through us to those that are around us. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what a, what a vivid picture of thy kingdom come. I don't know if I've ever, mm-hmm. I've ever thought of Ezekiel 32 and I've been praying the Lord's prayer, but perhaps the okay. next time I, I do, I'll, I'll have this image in my mind of the Lord winning that complete victory and bringing that kingdom to us and through us even now yeah in its fullness right in its fullness that's what it brings so we don't have to fear uh you know the the political correctness that would tell us not to say certain things and and we don't have to fear the 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 cancel culture that simply wants to remove things that it doesn't like Right or or we, any we, any force of evil, no no, well, yeah. no evil needs to be feared yeah. because the Lord is is the King and He wins a victory just like this. Yeah, yeah. So let's go ahead and take our break right there, Pastor Shockman. We'll pick up more of the text on the other side of the break. This wonderful picture from Ezekiel thirty-two of the Lord bringing His victory, bringing His kingdom. We're listening to Sharp Iron here on KFU, and we'll be right back. Please stick around. Thank you. 
Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharp Iron. It is Monday, November 1st. We are studying Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 1 to 32, with Pastor Jason Schockman. He serves as associate pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin. Pastor Schockman, prior to the break, we were looking at this first section of Ezekiel 32 through verse 16. In verse 16, you you brought it up earlier, but we didn't talk too much about it. The fact that this lamentation is going to be chanted. And and while you were talking about this matter of chanting or or singing, I I was having some some thoughts in my own mind about the singing that that happens in our services today. I don't know. Tell tell us more about this chanting that happens here. So um, the, the idea, right, of 16 is that they will, the daughters of the nations, they will they will keen might be another way to to translate that word right they will they will be keening which when we think of keening we kind of think of like chanting and mourning mm-hmm. right uh, but 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 for us we the church right each and every sunday uh, as we gather in the divine service uh, we the church are singing uh, not in mourning not in 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 groaning not in keening and wailing no no we are singing of the decisive victory that has already been won by christ in fact we are we are seeing unfold before us in the sacrament of the altar in particular right the 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 realization or the manifestation of what's coming at the very end when christ returns here it is a foretaste of the feast to come and we are celebrating it as though it is the reality here and now even though we don't yet have the fullness of it right and still we can sing this song of victory in the face of any futile challenge that may come against the the word of god against the the work of christ because we know it's already happened, right? So uh, as, as you and I had mentioned earlier, the, I rattled this off in some pretty big words. Uh, so, so here they are. It's, we are singing of the realized eschatology that is celebrated proleptically each and every Sunday. <laughs> what, what does that mean, Pastor Shockman? <laughs> well, right, right. It, just big, fancy theological words, right, that says, we are seeing right now what is realized right now is what will come in the end that is at the return of christ when all evil is wiped away and we are celebrating this foretaste of the feast to come even now right proleptically that is before it actually happens we're celebrating it because it's already happened Mm. you know here's here's how i would maybe i was thinking about this as you were as you were talking and particularly with this matter of chanting and the fact that we're talking about Pharaoh in Egypt here, I mean, mm. it, my mind goes back to Exodus 14 and 15, 
where the Lord leads his people through the sea on dry ground, Pharaoh and his host are drowned. And when Israel's on the other side of the sea and the armies have been defeated, they sing. And so yeah. the, the, the picture that I've got in my mind with, with this proleptic nature of the eschatology is that, okay, mm-hmm. we're not on the other side of the sea yet because Christ hasn't returned. But we're already Beautiful. singing that song even though we see the armies around us, because we know we're going to be going through the sea. The Lord is going to drown those those enemies. And so we can sing that song even right now. And I mean, when you, when will, you, when you look at that, like that's the Easter song, the song of yeah, there like, in Exodus 15. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. Right? He has triumphed gloriously. It's the Easter song. It's the, uh, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Christ has been raised from the dead. Hallelujah. It's the, it's the song of the saints gathered around the throne. The salvation belongs to our God and to the Lamb. For how long? Forever, Forever and ever. Yeah. Right? Forever and ever. Yeah, that's a beautiful way to think about it. Good catch on that one. That we're not yet standing, right? How to describe the whole proleptic thing, right? Because those are big fancy words that make me sound smart, even though they're <laughs> they're just big fancy words, right? Uh, but it's a great picture to say, you know, as we're we're on the side of the bank yet, where the waters haven't parted, and we've got the wall of fire on one side of us protecting us somewhat from the enemy that's encroaching, uh, but but we haven't passed through to the other side yet. But in our baptism, yeah, yep. In our baptism, we haven't walked on the bottom of the Red Sea. In our baptism, we have drowned and died, and what's been brought out of the other side is this new life, where we can say, "Here we stand," and there I am. I can sing unto the Lord who has triumphed gloriously for me in my baptism uniting me with Christ in his death and resurrection so that even here and now I can say the promise of eternal life is mine because God has made it. Yeah, that's and God fantastic. is the one who has triumphed victoriously over this, not yeah. me. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. I really, I really hate to leave that, that line of conversation behind Pastor Shockman because it but is we so. Probably get to the rest we of the chapter, we right? really should read the rest of the chapter here. So we've got the <laughs> second part of this lamentation. We're picking up again in Ezekiel 32, verse 17, through the end of the chapter. In the twelfth year, in the twelfth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, the word of the Lord came to me Son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and send them down, her and the daughters of majestic nations, to the world below, to those who have gone down to the pit. Whom do you surpass in beauty? Go down and be laid to rest with the uncircumcised. They shall fall amid those who are slain by the sword. Egypt is delivered to the sword. Drag her away and all her multitudes. The mighty chiefs shall speak of them with their helpers out of the midst of Sheol, They have come down, they lie still, the uncircumcised, slain by the sword. Assyria is there, and all her company, its graves all around it, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, whose graves are set in the uttermost parts of the pit. And her company is all around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, 
who spread terror in the land of the living. Elam is there, and all her multitude around her grave, all of them slain, fallen by the sword, who went down uncircumcised into the world below, who spread their terror in the land of the living, and they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They have made her a bed among the slain with all her multitude, her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, for terror of them was spread in the land of the living, and they bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. They are placed among the slain. Meshech Tubal is there, and all her multitude, her graves all around it, all of them uncircumcised, slain by the sword, for they spread their terror in the land of the living. And they do not lie with the mighty, the fallen from among the uncircumcised, who went down to Sheol with their weapons of war, whose swords were laid under their heads, and whose iniquities are upon their bones. For the terror of the mighty men was in the land of the living. But as for you, you shall be broken and lie among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword. Edom is there, her kings and all her princes, who for all their might are laid with those who are killed by the sword. They lie with the uncircumcised, with those who go down to the pit. The princes of the north are there, all of them, and all the Sidonians, who have gone down in shame with the slain, for all the terror that they caused by their might. They lie uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword, and bear their shame with those who go down to the pit. When Pharaoh sees them, he will be comforted for all his multitude, Pharaoh and all his army, slain by the sword, declares the Lord God. For I spread terror in the land of the living, and he shall be laid to rest among the uncircumcised with those who are slain by the sword, Pharaoh and all his multitude, declares the Lord God. And that is the rest of Ezekiel 32. That was verses 17 through 32. That is a dark picture, Pastor Shockman. It is one nation after another. Uh, going down and and this again this is where the sarcasm and the mockery really ramp up mm. um, it, it, it is applying uh, the language of God's covenant promises of the promise of circumcision of the of the of the promise of uh, having life because we trust in the Lord and not in the strength of armies and not in the sword and not in um, the, the conquering that we do, but rather trusting in the Lord. Uh, and here Pharaoh is told, you're going down. And by the way, you're not going to be alone. Although you're, although you're going down by the hand of the Babylonians, you're going to be with them. They're going to be with you. Uh, here, right, uh, you got the Assyria. I mean, the, the, length, the list of nations goes on and on, right? right. Assyria, Elam, Meshach Tubal, Edom. Although we don't know a whole lot about Meshach Tubal, by the way. Um, <laughs> that's one of those nations uh, or dual nations um, they kind of they're, they're semi-separated but historically they're dealt with kind of together um, we don't know a whole lot about them they were mentioned back in 27 uh, and they'll come up again in 38 and 39 
uh, but again, 38 and 39 is more of a uh, eschatological picture of, of where Mishik Tubal shows up. Um, we have, though, th this text that is tough. Um, not only is it a dark picture, um, but the language of it uh, shows very clearly uh, that what adds insult to injury is all of the, the worldly uh, power that you thought you had. Here, Ezekiel lays it side by side with other great nations from the ancient world and says, but in the end, you're all the same. You're all going to be outside of the covenant promise of God. You're all going to be buried as those who are slain by the sword, which some commentators make an argument here that slain by the sword refers to um, executed criminals. And again, this is verse 20 here, uh, this, kind, this, this comment slain by the sword that we see repeated again and again. Uh, it, it's a bit of a tough text, right? Um, because what does it mean to be slain by the sword? Well, it, it could mean, it could mean uh, that these are those who died a criminal's death, whose bodies were disposed of by means other than burial. And if you think for the pharaohs, uh, for the Egyptians, oh, yeah. what extensive burial rites they had, right? Right. Uh, it would be a significant, a significant humiliation to simply, in effect, be beheaded and left on the left in the wilderness to have your bones picked clean. Hmm. Right. right, like he talks about in the first half of the chapter, right, where I'm just going to leave your carcass out there to be food. Hmm. Now, you don't even get a proper burial or any burial. Right? And, and it's not just, again, <laughs> it's not just Pharaoh that's going down. It's not just Egypt that's going to that's gonna end this way. In the end, you're going to be surrounded by this company and all of their hosts who, in a similar way, were thrown down. Uh, but let's, let's slow down for a minute here. Look at verse 18, right? Verse 18, son of man, wail over the multitude of Egypt and send them down. That is you, prophet of God. You make them go down. Her, and, and there's, there's a, uh, we can make some debate here in the, in verse 18. Are you sending down Egypt and all her daughters, her and the daughters of the majestic nations, or or are the daughters of the majestic nations, that is Babylon, who have no idea who they're actually serving, are they in league with you to make them go down? What do you think? Which one is it? I'm leaning toward it's not just the prophet. The prophet speaks the word, but it's the word that makes it happen. Right. 
right? And so here's Babylon, the majestic nation, who has no idea that they're actually serving God, right? But they are, by extension, then uh, <laughs> the heathen nations who are of the world that are actually going to bring about the destruction of the heathen nations of the world. Mm, yeah. Which, uh, which again, as we get into verse 19, just heightens the, 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 the sarcasm and the mockery, right? Who, whom do you surpass in beauty? <laughs> who, who are you better than? Right. You, oh, you think you're better than Assyria? Oh, you think you're better than Elam? You think you're better than Babylon? Or how about Mishik Tubal? You got to be better than them, right? Mm. Or Edom. I mean, Edom is like the antithesis of the enemy of Israel or, you know, the, the not antithesis is the wrong word. Um, epitome. The I think. Epitome. That's the word I was looking for. Thank you. The, the epitome of the enemy of Israel. I mean, how, how long has Edom been the provocateur of Israel? Right. Yeah. Uh, you think you're better than them? Oh, yeah. No, 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 not so much. Right. <laughs> And so you, Ezekiel, prophet of God, make them go down. Well, how is Ezekiel going to make them go down? Through the word, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Declares the Lord Yahweh, right? It's again in 31, declares the Lord Yahweh. Here it is in in 16, declares the Lord Yahweh, right? How does this happen? It's through the word of God. It's always through the word of God. So what are we brought back to again and again, time and again? It's the word of God that accomplishes his will. It's the word of God that accomplishes what God says. That is God's word does what it says. So when God's word declares sin to be sin, it is. And when God's word declares a sinner to be absolved, he is. So when the pastor stands in front of the congregation, having lamented their sin, having confessed their sin, not in mockery, but in seriousness, like in, in right, heartily sorry for them. Uh, by the way, just as a funny, um, since we're dealing with Ezekiel and his mockery, uh, I used to, as a kid, right, as, as a kid, I used to hear uh, the, the confession of sins. And not understand why we would tell God that we sincerely repent of our sins that we are hardly sorry for. <laughs> I'm guessing I'm you're hardly not alone sorry in that one. <laughs> right, right. I'm hardly sorry for them, but I sincerely repent of them. And and to be honest, I think that's probably a very true statement. Right. Most yeah. most more often than not, I think we, God's people, we we do sincerely repent. Um, although often we, we barely feel sorry for them, for our sin, right? We, we just don't even understand the full depth of our sin. We can't, uh, and, and, and neither can Pharaoh. And, and yet, um, God's going to hold Pharaoh accountable because Pharaoh, as God says, it brought terror in the land. Yeah. He brought terror in the land. He was not an authority that God placed who did what was right as an authority that was put in place. Hmm. Well, and that's why he finds his place among all these others. I mean, that was, you know, Assyria 
same thing. Yeah. All, all these yeah. others are, are authorities whom God has placed who abused that authority and, and didn't, I mean, they, although, and, and this is the mystery that we've talked about several times, but, you know, although the Lord makes use of them in those ways, yet he holds them accountable for yeah. those sins. I mean, that's, that's certainly what you're seeing a, a picture of in this. It, I mean, essentially the, what I'm, what I'm seeing here is nation after nation after nation. And of course, it's from Pharaoh's point of view. So he's being sent down and what does he see there in hell? He takes his place alongside all of these nations, one after the other, as those yeah. outside of God's covenant. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and it's only, again, uh, the more egregious, right, the the more you rebelled against God and tried to claim divinity for yourself, it seems it seems to be the deeper of the pit that you get put into. Mm. Right. right. Yeah. So, so, so like, you know, verse 23 is, is one of the verses, the uttermost parts of the pit. Yeah. 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 Right. And and like, let's remember, right, Assyria, the king of Assyria thought himself a god called himself a god right uh, for for our listeners that that might not know that assyrian history so well uh think of the movie 300 there you right? go where where artaxerxes comes down against sparta and he he's like bathed in gold and he steps down off of his chariot to talk to this captain of Sparta and he, he calls himself God. Mm. Right. I mean, that, that's, that's the mentality of the Kings of Assyria. They, they thought themselves God. Well, that was, that was Pharaoh too. I mean, that's, yeah, you, know, you yeah. think, of, you think about the, uh, think about the the ten plagues and how the ten plagues in Egypt. Each one you can you can see how the Lord is attacking perhaps a particular idol from Egypt, and the tenth and final is the attack against Pharaoh, who considers himself a deity as well. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, you, you got you got it in Assyria. Um, you certainly have it in Pharaoh. We're not we don't we don't know all the ins and outs of all these other nations necessarily as well. Um, you know, Elam is one of those one of those long-standing kingdoms in the ancient world. I mean, we're talking, we're talking like, like close to 4,000 years that, that uh, Elam stood, um, you know, uh, until <laughs> the capital city is Susa, right? right. We think, uh, we think that um, the book of Esther takes place in the land of Elam, right? Uh, but we don't know a whole lot outside of, of that. Uh, and yet, where Ezekiel uses the same phrases for each of these nations, it's 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 like this cascading tolling of a bell that is enhancing the taunt. Mm. I'm just going to keep ringing the same bell, and you know it's kind of um, and the the picture that I that I get as I read through this and imagine uh, Ezekiel's word the word of the Lord coming into the, the hearers, you know, right? The, the ears of Pharaoh. It's like, um, again, a movie reference. Uh, it's like the movie Dumb and Dumber. Uh, <laughs> when, when the one guy, the Jim Carrey character, uh, turns to the, the, uh, 
the other character, I forget the actor's name who plays him, um, and says, do you want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? And the guy's like, no. And he makes it anyway. <laughs> and then he makes it again. Right? And then he makes it again. And it's like, okay, <sighs> come on, would you just stop already? I get it. I think I get it. No, 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 you don't get it. I'm going to do it again. Right? Here is that uh, you're going, you go down with the uncircumcised. You are slain and fallen by the sword. You spread terror in every land. It's just this gong, this resounding yeah. gong that it's the same note every time. And how long is Pharaoh going to be able to listen to this until he's finally just driven to despair? Hmm. Yeah, yeah, that, that death knell of the bell just tolling every yep. single time and it just doesn't stop i mean that i that's a fantastic image to have for this section of scripture pastor shock we got about three minutes left on the morning and this this is a, a rough section of scripture to read i mean just just reading out loud and that that death knell as you described is there how, yeah. how are we going to yeah. get from and we had we had such a fantastic conversation about baptism closed out that first section with with about three minutes how how's this second part of this text going to well, point us toward Christ. That's like, hey, pastor, you got 30 seconds. Can That's you explain right. the Trinity? <laughs> okay. Oh, so let's get all the way to the end, right? Let's get to verse, uh, let's get to verse 31 and 32, because there's a really important theological thought that goes on here. Um, not only is Pharaoh going to quote unquote console himself, which is, which is really not true comfort, He's not going to be comforted in the fact that he's going to have hope as much as he's going to look around and see that he fared no differently than any of the other unbelieving nations who aspired to divinity. Right. And, and, and yet in this, we have the echoes of the Exodus that this event, this event in Ezekiel's day that is going to be the end of Pharaoh. While it's not as clearly a redemptive event as the Red Sea crossing was for the uh, Old Testament people as they came out, it is nonetheless a salvific activity. It is nonetheless God saving. It is uh, as if it were uh, a tributary stream that flows into or that flows from the original Exodus. It's a type, right? And if it's a type of Exodus, just like the Red Sea crossing was the type of Exodus, then ultimately the anti-type or the fulfillment of the type would be the Easter Exodus. Now, why do I call it an Exodus? Well, there we got to go to Luke 9.31, where they're on the Mount of Transfiguration and Moses and Elijah are there with Jesus and they're talking together about something. And Luke actually provides us the word. They're talking about his exodus. They're talking about his exodus. Right? This is the fulfillment of the deliverance from slavery and bondage in Egypt. This is the fulfillment of the delivery from all that is evil. And it's happening in Christ's death and resurrection. Right. This is where the rubber meets the road. That's right. That's right. Fulfilled in Christ. Pastor Jason Absolutely. Shockman. Pastor Jason Shockman is associate pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 32, verses 1 to 32. Pastor Shockman, thanks for being our guest today. You got it. So how does one overcome the fear of death? 
be baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ. Amen. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.